Hello and welcome to the Tuesday episode of Unqualified Analysis. We are your hosts, Zach and Caleb, and today we've got a good show for y'all. We've got week 17 of the NFL, the penultimate week. First time that we're going to be saying that probably forever, to be honest, because, you know, NFL loves money. I don't know, man. The Pro Bowl is going to be the penultimate week of the actual season overall, so it's coming back. And the AFC and NFC championships are the... The penultimate round of the playoffs, so there's a lot of opportunities still right now. All right, well, we're going to be saying penultimate a lot then. With that, though, we're also going to talk a little bit about some college football as we had some drama go down. We also, of course, had the playoffs go down, and we have one more bowl game right after we do the national championship. No clue why that one was slotted in there, but you know what? (laughs) It is what it is. And to wrap up the show, we're going to talk about a new form of biological warfare coming to a continent near you. With that, Caleb, let's go ahead and start with Week 17. Boy, did we get a lot of answers about a lot of teams. The Bills in particular, I feel, might have figured something out with that run game. That's been a bit of a snag for them, don't you think? Yeah, agreed. And uh, I think the the elements kind of forced them to do that because it was, you know, typical uh, winter day in Buffalo. I think there was, I, I saw snow on the ground. I think it was probably windy and cold too. So yeah, they were forced to run. And hey, I think overall, 230 yards, five yards of carry, four touchdowns. Allen and Singletary both had two touchdowns. Uh, not a bad day overall on the ground. And I mean, you saw it on the, on the field with the Falcons. They couldn't do anything once they just started running the ball. So, I mean, it's not a it's not a difficult concept here. We've said it before. Just keep on running the ball. Maybe not this much. I mean, but think about it. Josh Allen had three interceptions. They still won by two touchdowns. Like, it didn't even matter. It's the Iowa special, man. Just throw as many picks as you can, but still confound yep. them with solid defense and a good run game. I mean, this game was one of those that I thought was going to be a complete shit fest because... I believe it started with the Falcons getting a safety. Either that or it was definitely in the first quarter that they got the safety. But the Bills mm. went up big. They were up like 14-2 to two after the first quarter. Then the Falcons were up at halftime. And then the Bills just blew them out in the second half. And I'm just left thinking, what the fuck is going on? Like, Atlanta really needs to figure some things out for next season because clearly – all the pieces that they have right now, like we knew it was going to be a rebuild season, but with all the pieces that they have right now, they still have a ton more work to do. Yeah. I just think they're like punching above their weight class right now. Like Agreed. they're not really as good as their record says. I think it's a huge credit to Arthur Smith and uh, really Kyle Pitts as well, being the, the rookie there as well, just coming along so well. I mean, all the stuff that's happened there, they have, they shouldn't have won as many games as they have. And, it, it's shown against teams like the Bills. I, I kind of expected it to go a lot like this. I mean, the Falcons aren't going to go anywhere this year. I think you're just kind of happy with what you get. On the Bills side, though, I mean, they're really rounding into shape here towards the end of the season. They had that huge lull in the middle, but towards the end here, I mean, they just kicked the shit out of the Patriots last week, uh, beat up on the Falcons who look like they're, I don't know if they're still playoff bound, but they're still right in the hunt there either they are way. eliminated at this point. Yeah, that, that's probably for the best. We don't need the we don't need the Falcons in the playoffs. But the Bills going forward here, that AFC is just so murky. I mean, hell, the Titans are the number one seed now, and I wouldn't say they're the best team in the the conference. Yeah, I mean, I think they're tied in record with the Chiefs, but of course they beat the Chiefs earlier this year, mm-hmm. so they own the head to head there. 
Um, so the first seed on that side is still really murky. But the funny thing is, on the NFC side, where the Falcons were contending until, really, until Week 17, the Packers have completely locked up the first seed with a week to go where they can legitimately rest some of their starters. I want to go back to the Falcons real quick, though, because I do have to give a shout-out to Kyle Pitts. He is the first rookie tight end since Mike Ditka to get over 1,000 receiving yards. And if he gets 59 yards in his game against the Saints next week, he will actually break Mike Ditka's record for most receiving yards by a rookie tight end. So props to him. Uh, Between him and Cordero Patterson, they have two really good pieces moving forward. Hopefully hopefully everything with Calvin Ridley is good and he can come back sooner than later. But otherwise, they have a lot of questions to answer on that front seven that can't stop a nosebleed. The quarterback who is definitely in his twilight years and the offensive line that also cannot stop a nosebleed. Yep, yep. And I just want to see Kyle Pitts with a QB who has a laser rocket for an arm. The problem is, and it's really the problem for all the other QB needy teams right now, there's really only like two or three QBs that you think you might have a possibility to build a franchise around in this draft. And I'm not even really sure who those, who those are. It's just like not yeah. a very deep class overall. So some teams, like maybe the Falcons, I don't know if they're drafting high enough, will get a, a QB, but a lot of these teams are going to get left out in the cold and sticking with QBs that aren't necessarily the greatest and Falcons might be one of those. We'll talk about this a little bit with like the Browns and the Dolphins, but I feel like that kind of middle class, blue collar class of QBs is starting to really round into shape. And I think that that's going to have to be an emphasis with this upcoming draft because there's no clear top prospect. But on the other side, when you think of like, what was it, the 2004 draft with like Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, like all these really solid quarterbacks, only one or two of them was really highly touted to start out. And they ended up all working out. So you really don't know what you're going to get because on the other side, We have Trevor Lawrence, who was one of the most sure prospects, at least since Andrew Luck. And he hasn't really shaped out for reasons that are partially his, but also partially the organization. Oh, yeah. We'll get into that a little bit later. I think that's kind of a very interesting situation when you take a bit of a a bird's eye view at that. But, uh, yeah, it's really the draft is just a crapshoot when it comes to really any position. But QBs in particular, I mean, you can have a first rounder that can bust out after a year and a half, a la Jamarcus Russell. And you can have a six-rounder who's the greatest of all time, like Tom Brady. I mean, it doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense outside of the, uh, the intangibles when it's all said and done. Let's go ahead and get into the NFC a little bit more, though, with the Bears versus the Giants. Um, as far as the game is concerned, well, I think you could put either you or me in as quarterback for the Giants, and it would have gone better. Because there's a fun stat. Because, you know, when you Just get Just avoid sacked, the sacks, baby. Yeah. Just avoid the sacks. <laughs> when you get sacked, <laughs> it's negative passing yards. Well, there are enough I go 0 for 20, just throwing it away every fucking <laughs> right. time, baby. <laughs> right. So, there were negative 34 yards, I think, or negative 44 yards from sacks. Mike Lennon passed for a robust 34 yards for the entire game. Elite. It ended up being a net of negative 10 passing yards. Caleb, I don't think I've ever seen a passing performance like that. That has got to be an all-time stinker. Yeah, no, I can't ever remember seeing negative passing yards. Like, 
I'm not even at like the the service academies. I can I can never remember seeing. You should have at least like thirty or forty. Exactly, because I mean you don't you don't have a pass rush at those places anyways because they're all selling off to stop the run. But like, man, that's this is just like a new bottom for the Giants. Um, really, the game itself was just terrible. When you're getting blown out by the Bears, uh, that's that's about as as low as low can get. But in the post game press conference. I don't know. I don't know if Joe Judge is just trying to to get like Dude, fired or crack, whatever. Man. I, something. I don't know what he's talking about, but apparently he was talking for ten plus minutes about how he's getting texts from players on other teams who are getting paid more money who wish they were still on the Giants. To which I'm gonna say, and you know, I don't like to just. Well, I do like to call out people to a certain extent when it's right, and this is certainly right. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> There's no that, fucking way. That's a bold-faced lie, and he's definitely going to the uh, the PR classes taught by Matt Nagy because this seems like something that he would do, just bold-faced lying nonstop to the press conference. That was just bizarre, wild, and they're still keeping him into next year. It, looks, it feels yeah. like he's just trying everything in the playbook to get fired before then, though, because this is just unhinged. Yeah, there's no way that he's actually going to enjoy this job next year. I mean, he's going no. into a new front office. I don't office. think anyone will. Right, he's going into a new front office with a quarterback who is not going to be the future. He's the coach who is basically a dead man walking. And when you're the Chicago Bears, you have to look at that and say, hey, at least we're not those guys because I feel like it's all but confirmed that Matt Nagy's gone I assume Ryan Pace is gone as well. And you can at least clean shop. You've got Justin Fields. You've got like Darnell Mooney. You've got that defense that honestly is really solid. The Bears are in a sneaky solid position for a young coach to come in. Yeah, and selfishly, I am I really just hope they keep Matt Nagy and, and just keep the whole franchise down. Just the worse the Bears are for me as a Vikings fan, the better I feel, honestly. But I feel like they're going to be hot in that sweepstakes for Doug Peterson this offseason because, I mean, the Jags want him. Uh, I Pretty much any team that has a young quarterback is going to want him to come in. Byron Leftwich, so, too. I think those Byron are probably Leftwich the two big well. names in head coaching. Yeah, I think Eric Bieniemy after going through, I think, two or three cycles now without getting a uh, actual head coaching offer has kind of fallen off a little bit. I'm sure there's something that we – don't see right and um just one last note on this bears giants game um we're big on you know establish the run have solid defense we think that's one of the best ways to kind of develop a team for a dynasty i mean that's kind of what the patriots ended up doing to get seven championships i feel or six championships i feel um the giants (laughs) they decided to establish the run when they had absolutely nothing else as they ran 40 times. Powerful football, baby. <laughs> that was an average of like three yards a carry, I think. Saquon at least passed 100 yards. Devontae Booker had about 50. To be fair, though, I didn't watch the game, but I'm assuming like 70 yards of that came on one run for Saquon, if I had to guess, because that's just how Saquon runs. It's it's likely, but also it's funny to think that you get behind pretty early and Instead of completely ditching the pass, like what the Vikings did against the Packers, they decide to ditch. Dan Campbell. Or sorry, instead of ditching the run, they decide to just yeah. ditch the pass. Like I, I don't know. They just lay into it harder. <laughs> 
hey, you just got to control the pace of the game. Right. If you're going to be behind, you might as well be behind on your own terms, okay? Look, man, if you run for 40 times, you win, like, what, 90 95% of your games? Maybe that was the case here. It's establishing dominance. It's a culture, sure. not necessarily a strategy, okay? It's a way of life. Let's go ahead and get into the Chiefs-Bengals. Now, I am particularly happy about this game because I just love to see the dynamic duo of Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow thriving together. Caleb, Jamar Chase entering week 18 has 18 yards per catch. Yeah. That is absurd. Basically, every time First. this dude touches the ball, it is a touchdown. Yep. First in the NFL with that number two. Uh, he's had one of the best seasons that a rookie wide receiver has really ever had. I think you just talked about he just passed Randy Moss's rookie record for uh, receiving yards. Um, it was actually Justin a, Jefferson's record. Oh, yeah, Justin Jefferson, which I think he actually broke Randy Moss's record. So I think he either did, yeah. way, either way, we'll have to see if uh, Kayshawn Butte breaks that record next year as well, just to keep the uh, – keep the streak going but i think the only way he doesn't get it'll uh, be only... so for Keishon Butte, it'll be in two yeah. years he's a true sophomore oh shit he's yeah a true sophomore yeah damn so he'll that's be with lsu next who's the year. guy that's coming out who's the guy there's a wide receiver that's coming out this year for lsu right um i thought so no Keishon Butte is the best wide receiver for lsu and the funny thing for him is he got injured after like the sixth game he had like nine receiving touchdowns he still had the most touchdowns, at least in the SEC, for another three or four games after he was injured. That's just... <laughs> yeah. That's just... That that's just with Max Johnson me. as quarterback. That's, that's not even just, with, like, a Bryce Young as quarterback. That that just makes me sick how LSU can keep <laughs> doing that. But anyways, back to Jamar Chase. The only reason I think he's not going to win unanimous ro offensive rookie of the year is because of the season that Mac Jones is having. Without Mac Jones there, I mean, he is... Far and away, even with Mac Jones there, far and away the best rookie class, the best rookie uh, in this class outside of maybe Micah Parsons. I think that this is definitely very indicative of a trend that you made note of where we should start getting quarterbacks and receivers together that have that chemistry. I mean, we're seeing it in Miami with Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Waddle, where they've got almost a thousand receiving yards on Waddle as well, and he's got almost 100 catches. He probably will pass that in Week 18. So for the Patriots, it seems pretty obvious. you got to get John Mechie in this draft, right? Yeah, I think get John Mechie if he's there. I think, like, I think I'm ready to eat crow at this point on the Jamar Chase. He was definitely the right choice, no matter what. I think I've, I've said before that I still would take Penny. When Sewell. you win the division, definitely yes. the right choice. <laughs> The right choice, unequivocally, and I think this is the one thing that, that's making me, I think it might change me into, like, definitively, like, a best available in the draft type of guy. Like, regardless of position or need, just take the best guy available. Because they certainly didn't need a wide receiver, and they still got Chase in this one. But, yeah, talking about uh, Mac Jones and John Mechie, I think that's an absolute no-brainer that the Patriots need at least a couple more weapons out there. I mean, they got some a solid core there with uh, Bourne and Myers, but they need to fill it out a little bit more. And Mechie just makes a lot of sense. The only thing is he probably won't be able to contribute a whole lot next year because he suffered that ACL so late in the season. Yeah, he'll probably miss a lot of the camp. So don't be surprised if he gets drafted early, but 
ends up having a slow start to the season because he's not really going to be able to be on the field early. I mean, shit, uh, coming back from ACL, that probably puts him, what, around July, if I had to guess? Maybe June in, like, a solid scenario. I mean, they could also pull, like, a, like Tennessee did with Jeffrey Simmons, draft him in the first round, then just redshirt him his rookie year, essentially. Yeah, that also works. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is working out totally fine for the Titans. He's doing really Hail well. Um, as far as Jamar Chase versus Penny Sewell is concerned, I still think Penny Sewell is a good choice for the Bengals yes. to have taken. I just think at this point, they could not have gone wrong with either choice. I mean... The Bengals still do need to get a line together because I believe Joe Burrow is the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. But if you are going to have a quarterback who's going to be the next Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning type, I mean, Joe Burrow is the guy, right? Like, this dude is the epitome of grit. Like, I don't know what grit is most of the time, but Joe Burrow is grit. I mean, he he's the coolest QB in the NFL, dude. I, he, I think there was another video that came out of him dancing in the locker room with a cigar in his mouth. This one, he wasn't smoking in a really cool fashion, but, you know, either way, probably the coolest QB in the league. Um, just, the, just the fact that he's doing this already in his career, probably the best QB in his division already. I would say even maybe, like, top five QB already at this point. I mean, I, he's going to really be able to show it this year in the playoffs, whether that's true or not. But, man, he has really taken an extra step forward this year. And the Bengals going forward, really, if they just fix up that line, get a few more pieces on the defense, shore up the secondary, I mean, they got a team in that division. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I'm having trouble thinking of what kind of quarterbacks you would take over him at this point because, obviously, Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes, you would make a pretty good argument to take over him. But, like, outside of that, like, He's much younger than Tom Brady. He's more mobile than Tom Brady, too. He tends to put up better numbers than, like, Russell Wilson. Uh, he's I take him over Russell than, Wilson right now. Yeah, he's more consistent than Dak. I take him over current Dak. Maybe not, like, mm-hmm. peak Dak, but, I mean, he's about to pass for 5,000 yards on a season. It's, it's tough finding a better player than him, and this is basically his rookie season. Like, he... He tore his ACL in like the fifth week of last year. He's barely played over a full season's games. And they have the division win for the first time since, I believe, 2007, which that already puts him in another pantheon for Cincinnati. Yeah, on the the Chiefs side, though, this was a game that you really, you probably had to win if you wanted to stay in the uh, the race for the... uh for the buy here. So, I mean, yeah. this is not, not a great week for them overall as well. I think they still have the, the division. So they're going to have a, a home playoff game, but uh bad loss here. Awesome win for the Bengals, but uh bad loss for the chiefs. Yeah. And this is much more indicative of the chiefs. I expected to see, I think with the defense that they were playing recently, I feel like you can probably go back and make an argument for some poorer competition for some of that, but this is much more in line with what I expect out of a Spags defense of giving up a lot more points than you probably should, uh, maybe starting off strong, but then fizzling out at halftime. Because at one point, they were up by over 10 points. I think it was 28 to 17 at half, mm. and the Bengals just ended up soaring past them. I mean, they just couldn't stop Jamar Chase. And all the respect to Jamar Chase, but I mean... If you double cover him, he shouldn't get like 200 yards in one quarter. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did see that Daniel Sorensen was back on his bullshit. I don't know if you saw uh, Jamar Chase's third touchdown. I think it was like right out of halftime. But Sorensen took possibly the worst tackling angle I have seen in a (laughs) professional football game. He came up like, not even exaggerating, probably like five yards short of of the guy he was trying to tackle. It makes me wonder whether he was even trying to tackle him at all. But, yeah, I mean, it's good to see Sorensen back doing what he does best, just letting receivers torch him. Let's go ahead and move on to the current number one seed in the AFC. We have the Titans, who completely trounced the Dolphins. Unfortunately, the dream's dead for the Dolphins. After this loss, they are out of the playoff hunt. I mean, we knew it was a matter of time, but it was good to dream. I mean... It's crazy that they made it this far and got this close despite starting 1-7. They can still piss in the Patriots' Cheerios, I think. Yeah, I mean, they can still beat the Patriots and screw with their own schedule. But the Patriots have clinched, unfortunately, getting into the playoffs compared to the Dolphins. For the Titans, however, they are a really solid team. And I think Mike Vrabel has to win Coach of the Year at this point. I mean, they've had Vimos injuries and COVID misses. They've had Derrick Henry out for half this season, and they are not missing a single beat as the as the season goes on. Yeah, I'd say he deserves a lot of credit for how the teams performed this year. Uh, yeah, I mean the Titans really just came out and destroyed the Dolphins really from the opening opening kickoff in this one. Uh, I know it was raining and the the weather was shitty, but there were some throws there. I mean he. Tua was throwing balls at people's ankles sometimes. And, I mean, I know the weather was bad, but the guy on the other sideline was 13 for 18 in the exact same weather, making a lot of similar throws. Um, there were times where Tua just flat-ended drives. I mean, I feel like he, he's a solidly average QB, but I don't know if he's ever going to be better than that at this point. I think he's shown me just enough, really, just watching this game alone to say, like, yeah, he could be all right, but he's not going to be a 30, 40 million a year guy. Yeah, I think Tua's probably another one of those players who his peak is probably Baker Mayfield, if I had to guess. He's definitely, I don't think he's ever going to be able to take over the game. Um, even against the Saints, he wasn't that good. It's just the Saints were that awful in offense that he always had a chance with the ball. Um I mean, he doesn't really have the arm strength as part of it. And I've always kind of felt like he was a bit of a product of the Alabama offense just being completely loaded with five stars. It is surprising to me that between him and Mac Jones, Mac Jones might end up actually being more successful down the stretch uh, because I did think the opposite where I thought two would be more successful. And also, I mean, is Brian Flores really the guy for the job? I, yeah, it's, I think it's he's doing just enough to stay alive. I don't I don't know if they should continue with him down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's done enough this year to uh, save his job, but I think the way the, the first two offensive coordinators he's hired have been abjectly not great. I mean, Chan Gailey was really, really bad to start off with. The guy that they've brought in this year hasn't done an awesome job. So, I mean, he's, he's on the hot seat for sure, but I think he at least – goes into uh, next year. The thing with Tua that's really frustrating, though, is, like, it's not just, like, the the throws down the field, like, intermediate throws even. It's, like, some throws, like, on, on swing passes even. There were, like, two or three different times where he just, like, completely missed a dude 
on a routine like roll out, there's a guy right in front of you, you just hit him for an easy completion just to get you going type of pass, and he was missing even those. So that the inconsistency with the accuracy is just worrying to me at this point. I, I have to question whether he's getting the right uh, development on the uh, from the offensive staff, though, given what I just said about uh, Brian Flores' hiring habits there. Let's go ahead and go to the Raiders and Colts with two established quarterbacks who have been in the hunt for quite a while during their careers. One of them actually won a Super Bowl, even. Yeah. We had Carson Wentz start As a cheerleader, but he won a Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he got MVP that year, didn't he? No, no. He was. That's the year. People get so confused because he was the MVP frontrunner for a long time. That's but he got, he got an ACL tear in like week 15 against the Rams. And then Nick Foles came in. You know, big dig Nick. The rest is history. Yeah, um, he was one of the first main benefactors of the new COVID rules where he reported having COVID uh, after five days. He reported that he was fine. I don't think he even took any negative tests. I mean, I'm sure he took like some at-home tests or whatever, but... Now, the thing with the new guidelines is I think literally like after five days, it doesn't matter if you test negative or not you just have to like have a mask on for five days after that and you're good basically you can still be around people in that that five day period where you're masking though it probably wasn't the right call for him as he did start one of seven with eight yards this isn't the first time that he's done something like this so we can't blame it all on covid but he wasn't really that good after the after the matter he got like 150 yards total um, he really didn't provide any dynamic for the Colts, who ended up just having Jonathan Taylor rush for over 100 yards. But the Colts, or sorry, but the Raiders were able to take advantage of that. I mean, Derek Carr, he threw two interceptions as we expect him to and threw some questionable deep passes. But he did have something really good going with both Zay Jones and Hunter Renfro. I think that if the Raiders win next week against the Chargers, they could be one of those problem teams that other teams don't want to face. Otherwise, they could really overperform and maybe make it to like the division or the conference championship. Yeah, and the Raiders have looked uh, inspired down the stretch with Bisaccia. I feel like they've kind of settled in after all of the the crazy weeks that they had kind of consecutively there for a little bit. Um, now that they've had a little bit of stability, they're kind of rounding back into form, but... I do also feel like they got a little bit of the Madden magic in there as well. I don't know if they win this game in a week where they don't have, you know, Madden Madden just died. They're playing for Madden. I mean, you don't want to lose the first game after Madden dies, right, if you're, if you're a Raider. So, I mean, I feel like there's that bit of motivation there too. Uh, going back to Carson Wentz for a minute, though, if I'm Carson Wentz, I'm like, yeah, it was COVID brain for sure. Mm-hmm. That's why I did that. I, I made all those dumb plays because of COVID brain because – that one touchdown pass he had to T.Y. Hilton, it looked like a Hail Mary. I thought it was an end-of-the-half play. Uh, I looked at it. It was, I think, the first drive of the second half. Like, what? Elite. <laughs> it, it, it bounced off, like, three defenders' hands in, like, the middle of the coverage. <laughs> what? But, I mean, Carson Wentz, man, that's wild man for, for days. But I do want to draw attention. Derek Carr... He gets more dangerous as the season goes on. I feel his head is growing in volume. His mascara just gets more on point every single week. 
And that combo going down the stretch going into January, you cannot quantify just how much that puts the fear of God looking like an Egyptian pharaoh going in to go against the other team down the stretch. Yeah, and I mean, Josh Jacobs hasn't been electric except a few games this season, and if he rounds into I kind of feel bad for Josh Jacobs, honestly. Yeah, I mean, he's not in a great spot, unfortunately. Being with the Raiders and having all those issues with both the offensive line and just the general Mm -hmm. offensive turmoil. Um, But they do have, like, a sneaky good front four uh, with, I believe, Max Crosby, uh, Carl Nassib, I think. Yep, Carl Nassib. In that group of that front four, they're actually sneaky solid. And the Raiders are one of those teams that can probably contend with just about any other team and give them fits. Whether they win or not, yeah. that kind of comes down to whether those bracket passes that Derek Carthars ends up being freak catches by like Zay Jones or ends up being interceptions. Yeah, and I'm not sure if they necessarily have like legs for deep in the playoffs, but I think if they if they get in, I think they can catch someone off guard and really just like take a team out that they probably shouldn't. I don't know if they'll win too much after that, but I think they can definitely cause some chaos if they get into the postseason. Also, one thing we forgot to mention about the Titans, uh, Derrick Henry might be coming back for the uh, the playoff push here. We were, we were talking yeah. about that. They made it all the way to the, uh, I think they, they're they in the one seed now. Have Derrick Henry coming back. Look for them down the stretch in the playoffs. That's, that's crazy. But looking at this game in particular, um, yeah, the Raiders pulled one out of their ass in this one. I don't know if they were expected to win. I certainly didn't expect them to, but this is this is big for their playoff hopes down the stretch. So the Titans play the Texans next week, so they probably will sit Derrick Henry again, but considering yeah, they're they not are, playing up against them. Yeah, considering they are tied in record with the Chiefs, it's not really going to be a bye week for them. I mean, for some teams like the Bengals, you probably start resting some of your starters, but getting that first round by, I feel is much more important than just resting some random week 18, especially against someone like the Texans, right? In football, I think more than any other sport, the home field advantage matters so much. I mean, just look yeah. at, at the, the home field advantage up there in Lambeau. No one wants to go to Wisconsin and play outside in negative degree weather with the fucking wind in the middle of winter. I Fox mean, no one too. wants to. That's a exactly. Point. Same same thing there. So, I mean, with, with these football stadiums, I mean, they're going to really gun for that that number one spot more than they will in an NBA or some of the other major sports. Talking about one of those home field advantages, though, well, the Patriots are making their way up <laughs> as they trounce the Jaguars. Um, yeah, this is about as you expect. Damian Harris is back to rarefied form as I believe this is his fourth rushing touchdown in two games so he's loading up for the playoffs I mean the Patriots are in a really good spot just classic you know have a three-headed backfield with Damian Harris as your big bruising back who is also the best of the three probably um really good defense and let's see what Mac Jones does in extended action yeah uh this this game was about the definition of joyless murder ball um this was over by the end of the first quarter even. And I'm really kicking myself in the ass because earlier in the week I was thinking about placing a bet on the Patriots minus 29 and a half because I felt so bad about this Jags team. Didn't do more than just think about it because I'm an asshole. But, you know, here we are. Uh, anyways, 
this game in general wasn't necessarily interesting. I mean, the Patriots beat the absolute fuck out of the Jags. But, I mean, I think the real conversation to be had here is Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Um, another another game where he wasn't great. Uh, of the rookie quarterbacks, I mean, even Zach Wilson, I think, has shown more progression than Trevor Lawrence has this year, which coming in was not what you expected. Uh, how do you think his uh, future is going to progress going forward here? Yeah, so I was brought to the attention that, one, Trevor Lawrence is leading the NFL in interceptions, which it sucks. I mean, Peyton Manning, I think, had 28 interceptions in his rookie season then like 22 in his second year. So you can still have success despite having so many interceptions. However, he has only 10 touchdowns to go with that. And for context, I mean, Trevor Simeon, only started five games it has nine touchdowns trevor lawrence has started all 16 game or 16 yeah all 16 games this season <laughs> it's that, hard dude, to that, say that 17 game it's starting <laughs> to make me doubt myself <laughs> the 17th um, game might as well be like the 42nd dude it makes right <laughs> it throws me off so much too <laughs> the uh biggest indicator for me though is um, when you start looking at like the touchdowns per attempts percentages and interceptions per attempts percentages he has the least touchdowns per how many passes he throws right so he throws a lot of passes does not get a lot of touchdowns off of those passes however he's top 10 in how many interceptions he throws per attempt in a bad way right and if you think about it i believe entering this week he had uh 2.1 percent which was which is really bad right taylor heineke justin herbert and joe burrow we're all tied with interceptions. However, they have over double the amount of touchdowns per attempts that he does. So they're passing in a much better volume. I mean, Justin Herbert just broke the record for um, touchdowns in the Chargers franchise, right? Joe Burrow is one of the front runners for like comeback player of the year and may start getting some offensive player of the year nods. Um, Taylor Heineke, He's a quarterback who won't be in any team's long-term plans. And then you have Trevor Lawrence, who just, even with everything that's going on with Urban Meyer just being a complete clown fiesta with the Jaguars organization being probably one of the least talented and having a not good front office uh, to keep things nice, there's still something to be said about his own personal development that I feel just isn't there. He's just, mm-hmm. he's not progressing even remotely in a way that you mentioned Zach Wilson is starting to progress and is at least getting better each week. It seems like Trevor Lawrence is staying very bad. Mm-hmm. And make no mistake about it. I don't, I don't think Zach Wilson is going to be any good, honestly. I mean, you heard it here first. I, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. I've been proven wrong at this juncture be before. Okay. It's, it's very early at the end of the day, so we'll have to see. But he's looking way better than Lawrence has this season so far. And I mean, if you look closely at it, at through his whole journey, it, it kind of makes some sense when you delve deep into it. Just think about it. Going all the way back to high school, he went four years without losing a single game. And basically just went on his raw talent, didn't really have to improve at all, just succeeded basically off of that. Then goes to college and plays for Dabo Sweeney, who in NFL circles is not known for good offensive scheme. He's known for having primitive offensive philosophies, 
poor QB development. I mean, can you actually think of any QB outside of Deshaun Watson who has had any measurable amount of success in the NFL Gosh, recently? He was yeah, drafted. he was. Yeah, he was good. He was pretty good. But yeah, he had that at Clemson for three years and an ACC at that too, where he was on a loaded Clemson team and they just ran roughshod over everyone. Never really got challenged there. Capped that off to where he's basically coming into the NFL, dropped into the worst possible situation he can have. I mean, just going from the top, head coach has no clue what he's doing. By all accounts, total asshole, gets fired in the middle of the season. Offensive staff is an all-star cast of the greatest, brightest young minds of the 1990s and uh, early 2000s, and it shows in the play calls. I mean, 10 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, probably not not just the quarterback's fault, if you had to say. Um, sure. And, I mean, I think you kind of brought it up here a little bit, but the top the top wide receivers here are DJ Shark. Uh, Chenault and Jones are actually pretty good, so I'll, I'll actually take it back about the receivers. They got a good core there. The offensive staff just isn't good. It feels like at the end of the day, uh, uh, Lawrence was just me uh, playing Madden on the lowest difficulty for a couple years, building up bad habits, and then switching it to all Madden and being like, what the fuck is this, dude? This is not how the game is supposed to be. Yeah, it's like you go and play NCAA football and you play as Alabama for a full season, think you're really good, and then you go and play as Rice against Alabama and you realize, oh, hey, I was just busted at that entire time. Um, it seems so harsh to say because I try not to say whether someone's like a prodigy or a bust in their first season unless it seems blatantly obvious. But it feels like Trevor Lawrence is about to I bust. feel like this is the most adversity he's faced in his entire life. And oh, for sure. I don't, I don't know if he'll necessarily crumble or thrive going forward here. It, it's kind of hard to say, but I will say just this offseason going into the next year is going to basically determine how his career goes from here. So he's either going to improve markedly or he's going to do bad next year and he's going to be probably definitely not getting an a, uh, extension looking for a job after that. Let's go ahead and talk about Zach Wilson's team, the Jets, uh, as they face the Buccaneers. Um, I want to give some props to the Jets before we get into yeah. The big yeah, eye openers. The, um, the Jets were leading this game until pretty much the final minute. Really, if they had just run that final play on fourth down correctly, the Jets would probably have the win 24 to 21, right? Like what ended up mm. happening is they called what's essentially an option jet sweep where either he hands the ball off or he runs the quarterback sneak. Most of the time, they run it at the goal line, so Zach Wilson's going to take the quarterback sneak since that's the fastest way to do it. They weren't at the goal line. They were at, like, I think the seven-yard line, and so... It was goal, also a fourth and, like, one and a half, too. Like, right. It was kind of a long one. So the goal always was to hand it off to Braxton Berrios, who was having a very solid game and definitely had the speed to get around the edge and get the first down. All they needed was the first down. And then Zach Wilson just runs into a bunch of big bodies who aren't going to let him through. And, well, they turn it over. Tom Brady does his magic, and the Buccaneers win. Yeah, and you got to give Salah a lot of credit for really hanging in there with the defending champs at the end of the day. I really like Braxton Berrios, man. He was eating the Bucks alive. I don't yeah. know if he can— He's been I don't know if he can, solid this year. 
That's true. And I think he, he runs like, he's a very like athletic type of dude. And he's always been known for uh, returning punts and really just not giving a fuck about his safety. He's one of my, my favorite types of players to watch. Cause I know at least in his rookie year, when he was just trying to make the team, he never, I don't think he called a single fair catch his rookie year. He just ran yeah. every single thing back. And he's the type of like explosive athlete to where if you just use him like an offensive weapon type of role, just kind of using him on motions to exploit his athleticism against uh, DBs, he can open up a lot for you in the off- offense. Uh, as far as that read from Zach Wilson, though, that's the type of shit that worries me because that was a fairly obvious decision there that he just decided, fuck it, I'm running it up the middle for. He is a rookie, though. I mean, yeah. I feel like that is much easier to fix than going one touchdown, three interceptions, sub 60%. Yes. You know, yes, like, okay. I that that's a learning system, right? Like, I think that that'll be more okay than what Trevor Lawrence has been up with. But, I mean, when you look at the Jets roster, like, I went through a lot of their roster, I think it was last week, but they a lot of do young have players. a sneaky solid roster, and I didn't even mention Corey Davis is going to be coming back from injury, and he was the number one wide receiver entering this season. He went out, I think, in like week seven or week eight. Um, I mean, they've got Eli Moore, who is a rookie. They've got Zach Wilson, and then they've got their pair of offensive linemen who are all just going to have another year in a full offseason with Robert Sala. I think that the Jets are going to be sneaky solid. The AFC East might even be the deepest division next year. Yeah, and you think about it, if the Jets pick up their play next year, and I think they really got the right guy in there with Salah, I mean, you go down the list, you got the Patriots with Belichick, you got the Dolphins with Flores, who might actually end up being the weakest team, and then you got the Bills, who are as resurgent as ever. I mean, the NFL in general, just top to bottom. There are so many divisions like this. Like, you look at the AFC North, you look at the NFC West. It just feels like there are so many solid teams top to bottom that we just haven't seen a lot of in the past before. I'm excited to see where it goes in the playoffs specifically. All right. Let's talk about Antonio yeah. Brown. <laughs> let's do this shit. <laughs> so, I'm still not 100% sure what happened. Like, I, like, I know so... You saw the video, he, though, right? Right. I saw the video. Yeah. He um, he basically stripped down on the sideline, took off his pads, took off his shirt. I think he took off his pants, too, and was running around in, like, He did not take spandex. off his pants. He took off all of the, the upper stuff, though. Okay. Tossed the pads yeah. I, on I definitely the bench. saw him shirtless. Yeah. He was, Tossed the pads on the bench, launched the shirt into the stands, then walked it off. Yeah. I So... I thought this was a four o'clock game when I saw the video. It looked like it was one of those like hype up the team, but also like wait a second, this is <laughs> in the Jets stadium, in the background. so I I don't know what's going on. Um, my best thought is he was pissed he wasn't getting the ball enough. Yeah, that's that's my only real guess at this point. I mean, that's like. It just came out of out of nowhere, like it was in right. the end, about at the end of the third quarter. Um, like no article I've read about this has any context on it. They're just like, "Yep, this happened." It was like, "Why?" Like I don't understand. And now he's not even on the team anymore. Yeah, no, I no idea what he was even talking about. I don't think he's officially been cut yet. But right after the the game, Bruce Arian said, and I quote. Antonio Brown is no longer a buck. So, I mean, that's 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 fairly definitive right there. Um, I don't think he's... I think that's probably the last time we're ever going to see him in an NFL uniform. And let me tell you, 
that's about the most poetic way he could go out. Yeah. Just acting a complete and utter fool, hyping up the opposing crowd on the way out, uh, going into the tunnel with no shirt on, getting picked up outside the stadium, never to be seen again. That sounds about like how AB's career should probably end. I feel like we should have and did see this coming with all the other drama that's been going on. I mean... He farted on the doctor, for God's sake, right? Like, <laughs> this dude is just up. a basket it's a, case of stories. It's a of, dick move, but that was pretty <laughs> um, Yeah, he's very talented wide receiver when he's on the field. The thing is that he also seems to be absolutely addicted to the spotlight. Hey, man, if he wants another shot, New Orleans Saints have a lot of experience dealing with diva wide receivers as well, so maybe they should give him a shot because they certainly don't have a number one option right now man i think even jerry jones isn't gonna touch him with a 10-foot pole at this point but i think i heard it on like just rumblings on twitter and it actually makes a lot of sense i think within the year he's fighting one of the paul brothers i think it makes too much sense i bet he's he's addicted to the spotlight man like there's no way he does of course the paul and plus he's think the policy, the pay-per-view opportunity, ABC's the spotlight, plus he needs the paycheck because, you know, he's not an NFL wide receiver anymore. I mean, it's going to happen. I don't know, like, when they're going to work out the details at some point, but he's going to fight one of them. Dude, just imagine, possibly the most explosive quarterback wide receiver duo has to be Antonio Brown and Deshaun Watson. Like, something is going to go wrong on any given play there. Jeez. That's for very different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. That's, whoo, that's a lot there. Let's go ahead and get into the Eagles versus the Washington football team. Washington held their own for quite a while here, but ultimately the Eagles ended up pulling this one out. The Eagles also clinched their spot by virtue of having the head-to-head over the Saints and just having some general tiebreaker over the 49ers. And props do have to be given to Nick Sirianni as he might be the best rookie head coach in this entire process, I would think. And he's probably also up there for coach of the year. Yeah, he's got a serious argument for coach of the year this year. I think his biggest competition you were talking about earlier with Mike Rabel, I think uh, you got to include Belichick in there too with what, what he's done with the rookie QB. I think he has like a bit of a, a low-key, a, a stacked roster top to bottom, but, but still, all things considered there. Uh, the Eagles, I mean, this is one I guess you kind of eke out with the win. This is kind of a, a classic uh, Washington football team type of game where it's like, I, I thought the Eagles were going to blow them out of the water, but the team is always spicy when you least expect them to be and terrible when you expect them to actually play well, so that's pretty much exactly what happened here. They kept it close throughout the game. Honestly, I didn't really watch a whole lot of this one. I've just got to, you know, give credit to the Eagles where it's due. Basically, I've said it before, all the success they have this season is just gravy on top because they're going into this this offseason with, I think, all the cap space in the world and three first-round picks. They could have a completely, like, juiced-up, different-looking team coming into next year, and I think they already have a really solid team already. Yeah, that's the thing. They could draft a quarterback with one of those picks and still not be hurt for capital. And they don't even need to since Jalen Hurts is playing so well. Yeah, and uh, going back to like Coach of the Year, I think Nick Sirianni would have much better likes to stand on with this if his record was a little bit better. If only because 
one of the best things that has happened with him is they've adapted their game plan. One thing that great coaches do is they adapt their game plan to the roster around them as opposed to making the game plan and then trying to fit the players in, right? Like, you're never going to have everything go your way perfectly. Otherwise, everyone and their mother would have a head coaching job. But, like, for example, Sean Payton adapted a much shorter style for Drew Brees. Bill Belichick created a complementary football system for Tom Brady. Nick Sirianni went from a more pass-heavy, you know, vertical threat to, you know what, fuck it, let's just run an adapted wishbone that actually works in the NFL, get some wins, win the, well, not win the NFC East, but win the rest of the NFC East and make a wild card round. Maybe they even beat a team in the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to get far, but they're sure as hell one of the most competitive teams out there right now. Yeah, that's the thing that impresses me the most with Nick Sirianni because it. I think we've talked about this before, but in college, head coaching is about an arms race. You get all the assets, all the good players you can, and see if you can win one. In the NFL, it's a lot of like you're playing a lot of uh like Top Chef or like chess Top Chef. Like you're getting a bunch of fucking you're you're cooking an entire meal with like nothing but top ramen to cook with. And you know, you're expected a, okay. to make steak. Like that's the chops. thing. You ever seen chops? That yeah, that that's what I was that's thinking the one of. Right chops, there, man. Yeah, that that that's the one that that you have to do in the NFL because it's like you may not get everything you want in the NFL, but you have to get the best out of what you have that you can. And Sirianni coming into the season, he was not looking to do this all running run centric style offense. He ended up with Jalen Hurts and said, "Yeah, this is what the personnel dictates. This is what I have to do." I think going forward. I mean, Howie Roseman, that guy is just, he, he always finds a way at the last second to save his job, and I think he just did it again here. Dude, I fucking love Chopped. I saw this one where... <laughs> it's so entertaining, dude. <laughs> I saw this one I don't even where... like cooking, and that shit's entertaining. Hell yeah, dude, because they give you, like, gummy bears, and you're like, yeah, make a steak dish with this. And they're all like, <laughs> yeah, I just out. made, like, a fucking glaze with this and cooked in some alcohol and made this delicious dish that... I could never make in my right mind. Like, dude, that show is legendary. I, the thing I love the most about Chopped is like, oh, oh, you, you're really good at cooking, huh? Well, cook a fucking gourmet meal with this batch of pig shit, huh? Yeah, like, literally. Like, <laughs> like, I just fuck. I love that shit, dude. Like, here, have some canned pig hooves and some giblets off of last year's turkey and go ahead We've and make something We've got pickled... Pickled chicken eyes to work with here as well for and garnishment. Some durian just to kill your nose smell. Yeah, good, good, good pungent odor in there as well just to get <laughs> it going. But with that said, I think we've wrung about as much uh, juice out of this durian fruit as we can for this uh, this game. Let's move on to uh, Rams Ravens, shall we? Uh, a lot closer than we thought it would ended up being uh, twenty to nineteen. Uh, the Ravens at M&T Bank Stadium. They just put the fear of foreclosure in opposing teams, man. Teams come in there, they're thinking, am I going to lose my house? Am I going to lose all my assets? They're playing tight, and it always seems like they end up in close games when they end up playing in Baltimore. Yeah, I'll tell you what, they certainly put that fear into Matt Stafford as he threw three interceptions in this game. The Ravens were actually winning to start the game. I think they were up 10-3 to before the rails started falling off for them. I mean... When you look at teams that have hit higher above their weight class than they should have, the Ravens probably are the number one team there because 
yes, they have lost five straight games, but pretty much every single one of those games has been a very close one. And you have to think that I think last week they had 15 off or defensive players on their roster because of just the sheer amount of injuries and COVID going on. And unlike the Titans who have been retooling and haven't missed a beat, the Ravens just weren't quite there. They weren't really able to emulate this. And I mean, Lamar Jackson was out again, I believe. It was Huntley was in and he's actually been pretty Mm -hmm. solid. But I mean, the Rams are too talented to lose to a team like this. The Rams are just gearing up for the playoffs. They even own the NFC West at this point. And it seems, I think it's actually confirmed now. Um, Though actually, no, maybe not because the Cardinals won this week too. And they beat them twice this year. Dude, it's so crazy. The Rams own the NFC West, but the Cardinals swept them. Like, how does the NFL even work? The the whole NFC West is just is just confusing in general because I think all of the teams at one point or another have been like like you know good record wise, and I don't think any of them are actually like super good. <laughs> like like I think the Rams and the Cardinals the both have really. Good. I think the Cardinals are okay. I think they both have solid records, but I don't know, man. As the season has gone on, my trust in Matthew Stafford has continued to wane like it He's just going back feels to like ways man that's the thing it feels like the longer the season goes on that lions matthew stafford may not be like the entire like whole truth of what matthew stafford is but i think it's closer to that than what we saw at the beginning of the season yeah like I think he's just like a solidly above average QB who can make some wacky throws sometimes. And sometimes he'll have games where he's just down like this one. It, in an in a environment that is described by an inside source as Rams won by one, which means Vegas lost. I mean, it's hard to win when you're going into a place of degenerates like that. Right. I do want to put some highlights on Cooper Cup, however. We talked about Monster. his potentially record-breaking performance it seems all but certain that he's going to be one of the first beneficiaries of having 17 regular season games as he has 138 catches for the season. He needs 11 to tie with Michael Thomas for the lead. Probably not going to get that if I had to guess. Uh, Let me double check who they play next week. I'll tell you what though, man. 11 receptions... And 95 yards, that's doable in one week for Cup, man. If he has a monster week, he could he could easily get both of those numbers. So they play the 49ers, so it is going to be a bit tougher. Um, but right, like I'm as you mentioned, he's only 95 yards shy of Megatron's record of 1,924 receiving yards. To think that Megatron even got this record, like basically 15 years ago at this point is just insane i mean think of that lions team the lions were never necessarily a talented team it's just he might be one of the greatest wide receivers of all time yeah and i still just have to harp on like because i feel like as time goes on people are gonna forget but jerry rice originally set that record back in an era where it was like run centric jerry rice is the greatest player of all time (laughs) It's insane what Jerry Rice did in the era he was. Granted, I think I think it was uh was a Tom Landry calling the, the plays back then for him. Yeah. Um and he had with, Steve they, they, and Joe Montana. Yeah, they passed more than the average team, but even then that was still like low thirties per game, whereas you're getting like 
even even when uh, Megatron set that record, the Lions were passing like basically every fucking down that season. So it's like, yeah, Jerry Rice was insane. Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, I've said it before. I think he's a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. Uh, who are they playing next week? Do you know? They play the 49ers next week, so it's going to be a tough ah, task yeah, for them. That's, I think that's a tough one. I think he has a really good shot at the receiving record. I don't think he's going to get the catches record. He really needed to have like 10 catches in this game to make that one doable. I do want to highlight Sony Michelle, though. Uh, we talked about it last week that he's basically got the starting job. I think Daryl Henderson is actually injured now and is actually, I think he was put on IR, so he's definitely out. Cam Akers did not get any action in this game. I've, I assume that he's still coming back from that Achilles, even if they say that he's healthy, that he's still recovering. And there was never really a time in this game to give him some low leverage snaps that didn't mean much. Yeah, I think the only reason they they activated him at this point, because I think I want to say the Titans ended up uh, activating Hen- Derrick Henry off of IR too, but I think it's just because like. They have to activate him before a certain point, otherwise they can't take him off the IR at all. Yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, I think Cam Akers, they're probably just gearing him up to just have high leverage snaps in the playoffs. I mean, it makes sense. You don't want to put uh, really anything on film more than you have to for him until you get into the postseason. I feel like it's a nice little little wrinkle to throw in there just in case you're, you're backed up against the wall. You need to throw something in there that... No one has seen thus far yet this year. Uh, I don't think they were uh, planning on on Daryl Henderson going down for the year. The rest of the year, though, uh, that's uh, that's really bad going for. They might actually have to resort to Cam Akers earlier than they, earlier than they would have wanted to, or they'll have to go to the practice squad for running back going forward. Hey, for what it's worth, Sony Michelle had a little bit of production receiving. I mean, he had uh, three catches for twenty five yards. So yeah, I'm impressed. Um, honestly, maybe he does see something there, but I mean, he's having much more success running the ball. I think that they're just going to resort to a more traditional running back set there. One benefit that they do have is Sonny Michel hasn't really run a whole lot this season, so he's fresher than your average number one running back. So uh, he could go the whole distance, I think, if the Rams make it deep. As for the Ravens, I do think their playoff hopes are dead. They're technically still in the bubble, but I went through the playoff machine. It took me much longer than it should have because I knew there was one avenue they could make it. So they need the Steelers to beat the Browns. Keep in mind, this is coming out after the game, so we don't know how that's going to go. But they need the Steelers to beat the Browns on Monday Night Football, which would be yesterday. They then need the Jaguars to beat the Colts next week. And then they also have to beat the Steelers. I don't think the Jaguars are going to beat the Colts. I also don't think that the Steelers are going to beat the Browns and lose to the Ravens. I think that it's probably going to be one or the other. So I do think the Ravens are out of the playoffs as far as it's concerned, but props to them for staying in it until week 18, essentially. Yeah. I think especially with uh, the Colts, particularly coming off that game last week where honestly they, they really couldn't afford to lose. They're right in the thick of it. They, they might get bumped out of the playoffs here at the last minute, they need to win that one against the Jags. Uh, that's another one where you might want to think about the alternate spread, minus 20, 25. I think the Colts are going to beat the hell out of the Jags next week. But, uh, yeah, the Ravens are pretty much done, and I think that's probably the best course of action for them. Uh, even if they got into the playoffs, 
really the entire season, starting from the very beginning when they lost all of their running backs coming into the season, the entire team has been Lamar Jackson, and Lamar Jackson is far from healthy right now. I think the best thing that can happen for the team is just go into the offseason, don't go to the playoffs, get a better draft position, draft one of the many talented skill players that are in this uh, upcoming draft class, and just, you know, just be happy with what you got right now, not having your QB more injured than he already is. All right, let's get into our 4 o'clock games. We've got Broncos versus Chargers, and this was definitely a game that I expected the char- the Broncos to have. Um, Vic Fangio, you have credit for building an elite defense, but also your team does need to score points. I think that the Broncos have one of the largest dichotomies between having a really good offense or really good defense and having a very bad offense. But I do have to give props to Drew Locke. He did outperform Justin Herbert, but I do think a lot of that is because they just loaded the box against Melvin, Gordon, and Javante Williams. I think this was just overall a bad performance for the Broncos, and they are officially out of the playoffs. Yeah, and I think what you saw here from the... Really, the, the performance of Drew Locke and, by extension, the way the Chargers defended him was they basically just said, we're stacking the box and making Drew Locke defeat us. And at the end of the day, he had one touchdown. So, worked out pretty well for them. I would imagine the Chargers beat the absolute breaks off of the Broncos in this one. Um, yeah, not a whole lot to, to say about this game overall. Vic Fangio... I, I love him as a defensive coordinator. I think both him and Mike Zimmer are going to be out of a job this year, and they're going to get picked up like that by someone as a defensive coordinator because both of those guys, two of the two of the greatest defensive play callers we've ever seen. So, yeah, that's one thing to look forward to at the end. But, yeah, I think Vic Fangio is going to be out of a job after this year. We got 49ers versus Texans. This is kind of the same I mean the Texans are just not a good team they did actually I believe they were leading at halftime but the 49ers did end up getting ahead um we saw our first like real extended action from Trey Lance I think he's probably starting next week and might even start the first week of the playoffs he looked okay in this game I think it wasn't great but he looked okay yeah, I think after a, a slow start, um, they think they went into halftime. I think it was 7-3 Texans. Uh, struggled to score in the first half, but in the second half, he really, uh, Trey Lance really rounded into form. I think he ended up with still over 10 yards per attempt. He was slinging the ball down the field. I think he took him on maybe, if not the opening drive of the second half, the, the second drive of the second half, right down the field for a score. And uh, really pulled him away in, in the second half. I mean, at the end of the day, it was uh, uh, a more talented team versus the uh, the Texans. Uh, I do want to highlight, though, how they've used Debo Samuel. Because, I mean, it wasn't really productive in this one. I think he had like seven rushes for 19 yards. Uh, still was more productive through the air. But with him being more used in the backfield uh, as a runner more than anything else, I think it allows Brandon Ayuk to be more involved in the offense in ways that he's comfortable with, in ways that he really wasn't in the beginning of the season. Like, he was an absolute no-show for the first several weeks of the year, but since Debo Samuel has moved more into that that uh, backfield role and had kind of uh, injuries, it's really allowed Ayuk to uh, perform in ways that have helped the entire offense to a point where I think the 49ers are one of those teams in the NFC that 
watch out for him because they can really shock a team going forward here. I do think that a lot of the lack of production for Debo Samuels probably from them loading the box a little more, forcing Trey Lance to stay inside, running more spies on him. That tends to hurt the jet sweeps as well. But Eli Mitchell did return, and he actually rushed for over 100 yards himself with almost six yards to carry. So things are working well. The 49ers are the last team in the NFC to not clinch a playoff spot. They can clinch with a win. However, my boys, the Saints, will be watching you 49ers because if the 49ers lose and the Saints win, the Saints end up getting the seventh seed there. So that's going to be a key one to look out for in the NFC. Who are the Saints playing this week? I know the Niners Falcons. are playing the Rams, right? Yep, Niners mm, play, play the Rams. Falcons. So I, that's a that's a real possibility right yep. there. I feel like the Niners have Anything a bit goes. of an edge, but that that Rams Niners game is about as much of a toss up as you can you can think of at this point. I do think the Saints are going to end up beating the Falcons. I mean, the Falcons have kind of it kind of thrived on on teams like the Saints throughout this year, but I think the Saints defense is good enough to where they're going to end up shutting them down. That's that's. Saving that for quick picks, though. I'm get, getting ahead of myself. And, you know, different day of the week altogether. Let's go ahead and get to the Cardinals and Cowboys, two teams who did clinch their spot in the NFC playoffs. It was um, a perplexing one where I think we both thought the Cowboys were going to win this. And I honestly didn't even think it was going to be close. Nope. Um, at this point, we have to consider Trayvon Diggs. It's really fun watching him get a lot of interceptions, but also... Is it worth it when you also lead the league in 15-plus yard touchdowns? Because this is about as feast or famine as it gets, and I feel like you need to meet us at least somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think he he does lead the league in uh, like coverage yards given up by like a mile. He, <laughs> I think you you said already went over 1,000 yards uh, given up for the season this game. Uh, most 15-plus yard receptions given up this year. Those 11 interceptions are pretty cool, though, huh? I mean, pretty cool. They're fun. I, honestly, that's the type of stress I wouldn't want on my team personally. But as an uninvested observer from afar, he's so fucking fun to watch. Because it's either an incredible play with ball skills that I've said before. They're uncommon for a, uh, a corner. He can catch the ball better than a lot of wide receivers can. But the other side of that is just burns down the sideline for 200 yards. I mean, he he's he's there for fun games, right? But I think the real problem was that uh who the fuck is Antoine Wesley? He scored two touchdowns for for the Cardinals. Um was he the one that Trayvon Diggs was covering cuz I mean, that that definitely can't been. happen if you're the Cowboys defense. Though it is kind of uh on brand for the Cowboys throughout the years if you you had to think about it. Yeah, and honestly, this was a game where we're going to end up just talking about the fact that Mike McCarthy just uh, doesn't totally have his bearings, it seems. They had that play where I guess it seemed like they were going for the field goal as they had Matt Prater out on the field, but they also had Kyler Murray out on the field, and then they essentially ran a wildcat with Murray under center and Matt Prater on the side. And so the Cowboys didn't know what to cover, but I feel like in that case you just say, you know what? Just keep them out the end zone because obviously they're not going to kick it. I don't know why we necessarily had to give up a timeout for that because mm. that ended up hurting them as Chase Edmonds definitely fumbled that ball. Yeah. But it was outside the two-minute warning, so they couldn't challenge it. And 
if he fumbled that ball, the Cowboys probably win there. Yeah, th- no timeouts. I think it was like 2.30 left whenever it happened. So, yeah, if they had timeouts, they could have challenged it. There was a clear recovery by the, I think it was Rashad Hill or someone like that on the Cowboys defensive line. They would have had the ball with a chance to go win it, but that's just kind of how it works. And that's why uh, decisions are important throughout the game because you don't know which ones are going to come back and bite you. Uh, I thought the Cowboys were going to win this by double digits. And for them to lose this one at home at that, I mean, it's just... It just feels like classic Cowboys. I mean, they're one of the best teams in the league. And I thought they were, they just came off of an absolute shellacking, a beating against the Washington football team. And they come out and lay an egg here. Just really, really perplexing. I do have to give uh, credit to the Cardinals, though. Specifically, Jonathan Ward. Uh, that catch. So nice. Un- unreal. One of the craziest things I have ever seen. That's just like. That's the very definition of just not giving up on a play no matter what. Like, you're just like, okay, the the ball is pinned to the guy's helmet. We're falling. I'm just going to keep pinning it here. Uh, Okay, I can bring it into my body now. And the fact that it never touched the ground either, like, not not even just that it was not moving at all. Like, the fact that it didn't touch the ground at all is just mind boggling. Let's go ahead and get into our. Saints versus Panthers matchup. Um, For those of you who didn't watch this game, it's probably better off because this game kind of sucked to watch, at least until Alvin Kamara finally scored the first touchdown for the Saints in over 11 quarters of play. Um, Yeah, the Saints offense needs a lot of work. We are missing like three offensive linemen, but uh, I mean, I'm done making excuses, right? Like you are who you are at this point. The Saints still have a chance to get into the playoffs. Um. I do want to give some props to Cam Jordan, though, because he had a good three and a half sacks in this game. He's one of the most prolific defensive players in Saints franchise history. He's got over 100 sacks, and he might be like 32 at this point, but he looks as spry as he was in his prime. And I think he plays a style, too, where I don't think it's really rooted a lot in athleticism. It's a lot of, like, fundamental style discipline style of play so I mean he's 32 now but he can play for a long time and I don't think he wants to leave the Saints either so he might stay there for a really long time hell maybe even long enough for them to rebuild and win a championship at some point but uh yeah this was a game that luckily was not on TV for me um this was possibly like if, if you watch this, I, I am so sorry. Because this is possibly oh the most boring game. I am I am so sorry, dude. There was there was nothing happening. Maybe maybe the only one worse would be one of those blowout games. Like, you know, the 50-point the 50, 50 games. But, yeah, this was just not, not awesome overall. But, hey, Sam Darnold's back. And he looks like Crap. Sam Darnold. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's still there. <laughs> the thing is, he started 8 of 8 for, like, 90 yards. And then to the main. Yeah, and then he went what? <laughs> quick mass here, nine of eighteen for another fifty yards. Elite. So, yeah. That was Sam Darnold. Um also was a pretty spiral to, though, man. <laughs> I want to give props to Marquez Callaway as our number one deep threat. He's definitely a scientist. This dude likes to test gravity because, well, he was targeted ten times and he had only six catches. Three of those were straight up drops 
I give them props because there are one or two of those that were like solid jump ball contested catches that he got, but also he had three drops. Um, yeah, Saints, please get a wide receiver in the draft. You yeah. need one bad, maybe like Chris Olave. You know, that would be Just pretty cool. Thought. Yeah, Mark, Marquez Callaway is not a number one wide receiver. He's a very good wide receiver. I think Fast. he's a very, very good complimentary guy who's got really good size. But uh, luckily for you guys, this draft's very deep on receivers. I mean, take your pick. I mean, Tay Martin is the entire team for Oklahoma State. Chris Olave is an absolute man. Garrett Wilson on Traylon Burks. Um, Think about Jamison Williams. I mean, you can just keep rattling off names that are going to be in the draft this year. It The position players all across the board, I mean, fuck the QBs. You should really shouldn't care about any of them this year. There are, there are studs all over the place everywhere else this year in the draft. It's cool. Jamis Winston's coming back next year, and he's the only quarterback that anyone needs. Let's be honest. I, the team was doing well with Jamis at QB. Five and three. With, and with Jamis at QB. That's the thing. With Jameis at QB, I think that that's like a legit, like you can make a run with that team maybe. Like I don't know how deep you get, but I think you could possibly get to a championship game if you if a few things roll your way with Jameis at QB. So, I mean, I don't think you draft a QB this year if you're the Saints. Just go strictly into the position players. We're going to go to Lions, Seahawks. I mean, this game was a blowout. Rashad Penny is a beast. He will maybe get uh, some extended playing time with the Seahawks. Hopefully Chris Carson comes back and is healthy and they have a solid dual running back threat. Um, also, Amon Ra St. Brown, he broke 800 yards for the season. Could still hit 900 yards because he uh, he could be the next like Megatron type of player for the Lions. I don't know if he's going to be as talented, but he's probably the most talented player on that roster. Yeah, uh, Amon Ra St. Brown is an absolute monster on the Lions. I think he's... One of the few players that you can actually keep on that team. Uh, other than that, Tim Boyle. You can keep him. I'd I still, the real question for me, I just want to know, what dirt does he have on what GM? Like, who, do, what, who does he have pictures eating shit out of a diaper? Like, I, I just want to know that much. Because he had, there's no reason he should be an NFL QB with his resume, but he somehow parlayed a mediocre college career and uh, undrafted out of college into being a starting NFL quarterback. Wild. But uh, as far as the uh, the Seahawks running back depth, um, I have watched the, the NFL long enough to know. Uh, Chris Carson's had a couple straight seasons now where injuries are starting to mount up. Uh, I think he's still on his rookie deal. Rashad Penny is younger with younger legs. Uh, I don't know if Chris Carson's ever going to be featured in that uh, rotation again. They might actually cut him after this year, honestly. Let's go ahead and get into the final game of Week 17, Vikings versus Packers. This game went exactly as I expected. Um, For those who didn't know, Sean Mannion started. He was in the Heisman contention for one season with Oregon State. That year that he had Brandon Cooks. Yep. And um, he was okay, but... (laughs) You could definitely tell which side had Aaron Rodgers and which side had Sean Mannion because, well, the Packers just got to a 20-3 to lead and then it wasn't ever close after that. I don't even know if okay is the way I would describe it. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't attempt to pass more than 
I think, five yards down the field in at least the entirety of the first quarter that I saw. I don't know how the second quarter went. Honestly, the plays just started blurring together after a certain point. They, they started out... The boys started out with a good fight. I think it was like 3 nothing after the first quarter. But, I mean, the floodgates, when they opened, boy, did, did they open, man. This was just yeah. painful. Painful to watch as a Vikings fan. Uh, yeah, there's just... I'm going to stay mostly away from the Vikings other than saying congrats, Kirk Cousins, for staying on brand and only testing positive for the games that fucking matter. Good job. <laughs> We're basically out of the playoffs now. Isn't this his second time, you. too? I think Didn't he it's test like, positive earlier this season? No, this is his first time testing positive, oh. I believe. He started every game except for the one that we needed him most yeah. in, which, again, he did, He's not very, vaccinated, right? No, he's not. He's big on the fucking. I don't. I don't. I honestly don't know what. Yeah, what I know. I know he's like vaccine. Not, I just know he. Yeah, he's not privy to like masks and stuff. But that's a whole can of worms. Yeah, um, that's that's his whole thing. I want to focus more on the the Packers though. Um, AJ Dillon, six foot two forty seven, can run like a gazelle. I think he ran like a four five at the combine. Uh, he's a guy that's built for this time of year, don't you think? Yeah, he's the perfect running back for this. Chris Collinsworth actually brought this up. For Lambo at that. Yeah, I mean, the weather's getting cold. It's going to start snowing. Aaron Jones has had a lot of mileage. A.J. Dillon, I actually saw, only has 50 less rushing yards than Aaron Jones, even though Aaron Jones has gotten the majority of the snaps. And, I mean, when you're 250 pounds, you can run through pretty much everything. See Derrick Henry. And he was actually more effective here than Aaron Jones was. And he's going to be the perfect kind of de facto running back for the Packers moving forward because Aaron Jones is very talented in his own right. He's going to be much more effective in the receiving game and probably more on the outside. But when you have A.J. Dillon, you can just run up the middle, just bruise teams and just play your style of football and this was one of the last few pieces that actually could have made the Packers better, and they figured it out. Yeah, and you think about it, even on just a rudimentary level, when we were playing football back in, like, high school, when it got cold, we didn't want to see big motherfuckers like yeah, that. because it hurts more, man. Hit, exactly. Hitting guys like that in the cold, it fucking hurts, man. Like, it hurts more than it does in regular circumstances, and it hurts in regular circumstances. And... There's just something about knowing that going into a matchup, it's the same sort of uh, psychological effect that Derrick Henry has on a defense, which is why I'm interested to see how that goes in for the Titans going forward. But just knowing that from a defensive standpoint, I feel like it puts the fear of God in you and has a psychological effect that it's hard to, to quantify, but you can see it on the field. Well, that about does it for Week 17. So I think uh, we should talk about a little bit of college football and... Get ready to head out for our midweek madness, right? All the bowl games were played in, I guess, this past... I guess it was two weekends ago at this point. But also, this past weekend, we had the college football playoffs as well as the New Year's Six. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot to say because there there's so many like opt-outs and COVID issues going on. Um, Matt Corral did get what seemed like a really big injury as he was carted off. It did end up being an ankle sprain, so thankfully it wasn't anything that would be career-ending. But that's just another instance of, hey, this is a reason why some of these high-profile players like Kenny Pickett, for example, do opt out. Because it's not worth it to play in a bowl game that's not like a championship. 
unless or sorry it's not worth it to play in a bowl game unless it's a championship when you have an nfl draft stock to worry about when you can go first overall you can go first round and you can literally make like 10 million more in the span of your life regardless of how you play yeah and I, I also though i could see it from both perspectives honestly and i think it's really just all up to the kid and the the camp that's around him to to make make those decisions honestly yeah. i mean like at, at the end of the day i can see like you're gonna make a lot of money if you just sit out and play it safe but also i can see on the other side for a lot of these kids like Maybe they have a sentimental attachment to the place they went to school sure. to. And that's totally they want to, yeah, they want to play the game. Like I'm, I think that's kind of the boat that Matt Corral was in here playing in, in the Sugar Bowl. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of at the end of the day, I feel like people make too much of a fuss about the question of whether or not to to opt out. It's just kind of like what the kid's situation is, like what what the draft stock is looking like. Because I I feel like you know. Even with Matt Corral's injury here, with how severe it is, I'm not sure exactly how severe it is because I missed an ankle it. Sprain. Honestly, he yeah, should be ankle fine. sprain. Yeah, should should be fine at the end of the day. I mean, in a weak class, he's one of the only QBs you can say has like some legit like like star type of upside. So I don't think he's actually going to drop that much. All things considered, I don't think he's a first round QB. But I don't think he was a first round QB to begin with. So I mean. Yeah. Maybe still probably a, a second round pick, a guy that, I mean, a, a lot of situations like this, it's just whether you want to play in the bowl or not. That's not necessarily like some big indictment on the character or not. It's just what's best for you and your family at the end of the day. Yeah, I I don't blame anyone for not playing in a bowl game. It's frustrating as a fan when you see your team playing in one of these New Year's Six Bowls and you're like, man... We barely lost this game. It would have been nice if we had our starting quarterback. But at the same time, I don't know. I feel like an easy way to fix this, pay the players. You're already giving them NIL. Like, give them a stipend for making a bowl. Like, congrats. New Year's 6, you get this amount. You get X amount if you win. You even get X amount if you lose. Like, whatever. You're already paying the players. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, granted, when when I make a bet on Pittsburgh thinking that Kenny Pickett is going to be going against the Michigan State secondary, I mean, when he opts out, that does kind of fuck me. But it's also like Kenny Pickett doesn't give a fuck about my bets at the end of the right. day. So it's like, yeah. He's got I bigger mean, things to worry about than your 50 bucks. <laughs> at the end of the day, we have to realize that this is this is sports and this is all like, you know, this is and their livelihoods. People. This is their livelihoods in our entertainment. So the calculations are just different for us as fans. So in the Rose Bowl, Ohio State was given a run for their money from Utah. Um, I think like Chris Olave opted out. Um, I can't remember who the number two option who's also going to be first round. Uh, pick. Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson opted out. I think a lot of their defensive players opted out, but they did end up winning. <laughs> CJ Stroud had 570 yards passing and six touchdowns. It looked like the game against Purdue. And yep. then Jackson Smith and Jigba who is essentially their third option and is a true sophomore at 350 receiving yards. This dude's got 1,600 for the year, and he's already going to be a first round next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm no draft expert, but I think that guy's going to be a top 10 pick next year. I mean, I could, could be wrong, but I'm just saying, going against the Utah defense, who has been known to be stingy all year, uh, to put up 347 yards against them. That's wild. And just ha for a little bit of context of how wild that is, uh, Iowa QB Spencer 
Petrus Petros. Honestly, he's not good enough for me to remember how it's pronounced. Uh, in the last two games combined in the Big Ten Championship and the bowl game, he threw for 348 yards and one touchdown, which is just one yard one yard, one yard difference and two less touchdowns than Jackson Smith and Jigba in just the one game. Uh, the ceiling is just so high for that offense next year with both him and Stroud coming back. I do want to point out, though, because I'm going to forget about it if I don't point it out now, uh, true freshman who also scored three touchdowns in this game, like father, like son, Marvin Harrison Jr., dude. Mm. Uh, he's going to be a big contributor next year for uh, Ohio State, it looks like. So, I mean, hopefully he comes in and does a lot of what his uh, father does so we have some fun draft talk there as well. Yeah, um, it'll suck to see Ohio State still being really good, but hopefully uh, our boys will be good as well, right? It's going to happen either way, so i got to be entertained. Speaking of my boys, um, LSU gets to play Kansas State on what's tonight, Tuesday night, January 4th. I'm not really sure why this game is being played so late in the season. I feel like this game should have been played like as one of those Tuesday games last week or the week before. Um, let's also just bear in the fact that over half of LSU's team at this point is walk-ons. I mean, Max Johnson opted out. Miles Garrett's been injured. The or sorry, Miles Brennan's been injured the entire season. Uh, Garrett Nussmeyer went into red shirt, so we're starting a walk-on quarterback. Coach O's not even there anymore. I don't think he was even there for the last game. Um, and I don't know. I can't name a single person on Kansas State's roster. Like, Dude, I, is this even a real game? I can't. I can't name a single player. Like now that I'm really thinking about it, like I can't name a single player on either of these teams. <laughs> like, why is this bowl game even being? I wonder played? if Demone, Demone Clark might be playing. He's one of the like top linebacker prospects in the draft this year. He was a JUCO transfer. I mean, maybe. I, I, I have no idea. We had a I'm lot of even... names opt out. And Keishon Butte's been injured all year, so, like, I don't even fucking know, dude. Yeah, I'm honestly not even sure I'm going to end up watching this game. I mean, I'm I'm in I'm in Florida, so I have def- definitely better things to do with my uh, <laughs> with my my Tuesday night. But uh, I'll I'll certainly keep track of it at the end of the day. Um, yeah, Kansas State though, not much better on the other side. So I think they at least have a chance. The the one thing I'm wondering is like. They played the playoffs like what was it the the first so this is the fourth like, yeah what are we doing like what yeah, are right? we, this is this is like the right? key west of bowl games like it's barely even part of the season like it's fucking it's it's like two day like two or three whole days between like any actual bowl games in this one like I don't know why they're even in this. It's like, I think this is the only game being played after the football playoffs first round, too. Like, are they just hoping to extend the bowl season after this? Is this supposed to be a dry run and maybe they'll start putting games on Thursday and Friday nights of this week? I really hope not because I don't even care about this game and I'm a fan of the team. I went to the fucking school that is in this game. Like, it doesn't get much worse than that. Yeah, and I mean, as someone who, like, I mean, I thought... Another team, talk about another team that messed up my bets, Mississippi State, because I thought that, you know, we would be at full strength, but uh, apparently the entire team decided to get COVID. So, like, nice. this entire bowl season is just just a <laughs> nice shit COVID. show, dude. The next time, next year, like, gets, like, bowl season, remind me not to bet on any of these fucking games because it's just not worth it at this point. The only ones that were, like, clear 
were Purdue and Tennessee on the over because neither of those teams play any defense and all they do is score. But uh, yeah, this is about the about the end of the uh, college football season, don't you say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got one more game between Alabama and Georgia. I'm not entirely looking forward to it. I feel like we already know what's going to happen. So uh, maybe we'll talk about it on our next same same thing we watched the. It's like the same game we've watched the past. Yeah, like, I mean, Nick Saban's the greatest college football coach of all time, right? Like, Pretty it's much. not even a question. Kirby Smart hasn't proven anything, unfortunately. Let's Pretty go much. ahead and get to some more whimsical news. Caleb, I have learned how we are going to rob a bank. Now, hear me out. What we all do, right. we go into one of these rural suburban banks. Masks on, gloves on. Say, everyone drop to the ground. I got genital warts in this vial. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you're going to want to go with something a little bit more lethal to everyone involved. Because I feel like herpes is a big inconvenience, but I feel like there's a lot of people with mouth herpes. I'm one of them, actually. So, I mean, nice. Nice. you know, you're going to want to want to up the game, if you will. Yeah, well, how about this? These guys tried to rob a bank in Minneapolis, and they had HIV. Now. In a vial. Now. I mean, they might have had their own HIV. Maybe that's where they got it from, but. Now you are talking, my friend. (laughs) Now they just walked in the bank like, I got HIV. Give me the fucking money. (laughs) I'll fucking spit in your mouth right now if you don't give me that fucking money. (laughs) Yeah. um, damn. Not a whole lot to this story. That's literally all there is. But I'm looking forward to seeing GTA come out with a new COVID cannon in the next heist update. Yeah, I just want to know what the actual, like, like what this looked like. Like, I want to see the CCTV cameras. Like, did they just come in with the vibe? Like, I got HIV in this thing. I'm going to toss this fucker on the ground. If anyone makes a sudden move, give me all the money right there. I'm crazy. I'll do it. We'll all be atrophying in weeks, all right? You just fucking wait. There's no there's no HIV medication anymore, that's for sure. No, 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 no. <laughs> the only thing that I've actually heard about this is that the vial was filled with a red liquid. I don't think they even confirmed if it was actually HIV. It's just the uh, bank robber said it was. So that got me thinking, Caleb, if you had a vial of COVID that you would threaten a bank with, what color do you think that vial would be? God, like green. I'm thinking like Dude, I was green. thinking like a lime green, like that nasty ass green. Because you know? I would say red, but I don't know if it's necessarily evil so much. I but think HIV green, is red. HIV is red. HIV is red because that's a badass motherfucker right there. Uh, I would say, uh, what what was it we we're talking? COVID is green because it just it just propagates, dude, like a like a fucking green jungle. It just like keeps spreading around. We're probably gonna have it forever, and it's just gonna be a part of society. But uh, yeah, on uh, that. Awesome note. That's the all, that's all for this episode. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't enjoy, uh, expunge this experience from your memory uh, after you leave a five-star rating, of course, because uh, we still want to maybe make some money off this one day. I don't know. That'd be cool. I don't know. You could help or be an asshole about it. That's, that's the whole thing. Uh, we put out episodes twice a week. Right now, we're uh, recapping the previous week on Tuesdays. Uh, previewing the next week for the NFL on Thursdays with the exception of uh, college football playoff coverage. Uh, that's going to, you know, obviously come to an end after the, the championship game. I guess that's next Monday at this point. But uh, follow us on Twitter at Caleb Verzak, at Zachary W. Mullen. Links will be in the description for that so you don't got to spell our weird names. 
do you want to send us an email? Send us an email at uh, unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Uh, just specify first uh, word of the subject line, all caps, business or show, just to kind of state your purpose so you can be uh, sorted appropriately. Uh, that's about all. Thank you for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, we have zero idea what we're talking about, baby.